We've been challenged to fast, and if you got your bracelet, great. If you don't have your bracelet on, it might be because you broke it, because you had to snap yourself so many times this last week, um, but we've been challenging you to fast, and what are we fasting? We're not fasting food, we're not fasting the internet, we're not fasting our telephone, uh, we're fasting whining, griping, complaining. It's what we said we do. And I'm hoping that you're keeping your word and you're fasting, complaining. Now, that's probably one of the most difficult fasts to make because um, you only need to eat a few times a day. Sometimes we eat more than that, but you only need to eat, only need to eat a few times a day. Um, you, know, you, you know, you uh, you don't have to have your phone. You know that. Uh, when the, the Wi-Fi is out, you survive, believe it or not. So those aren't really difficult fasts, truly they're not. But a difficult fast is something that you're tempted to do all day, every day, and that is complain, gripe, um, and, and be negative. And if we're going to be different than the world, we have to be different than the world. We've got to act differently. And so we've got we've to figure out how we're going to do this. And so we're challenging for just two weeks, just 14 days, to fast complaining. And when you do complain, the challenge was we gave you one of these rubber bracelets. You just kind of, if you're tempted to complain, kind of snap yourself once, not as a punishment. We're not talking about hurting yourself. But then if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you do complain, we want you to kind of remind yourself. Just kind of snap yourself twice. It doesn't need to be a big deal. Just do it to kind of remind yourself. Get yourself back in the right place again that, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I've got to be different. Go against the flow, against the current of this world. And I, I can't be complaining all the time. I can't be negative all the time. So I hope you're taking this seriously. I think it takes a lot of courage to do a fast like this. I said I think it takes a lot of courage to do a fast like this. For most of us, we try to play life as safe as we can. Most people, we try to avoid any kind of danger in our lives. If, if, if life was a swimming pool, most people would live in the shallow end because it's safer in the shallow side. But there are going to be many times in our lives that God is going to call upon us to have great courage, tremendous courage. I think that's what this is about today. This chapter in the story as we're going through it, it may not be as dramatic as getting your picture in the paper. The courage might not be put you in physical danger, but all of us are called upon to be men and women of courage, men and women of courage. We tend to think of courage as a quality that we don't necessarily need in everyday life. Uh, it takes great courage, though, for us to live a life that God has called us to live, does it not? It takes tremendous courage for someone to end the gathering, they're at the end of the gathering, to make a decision. Courage to follow Jesus, to come forward, or to raise your hand, or to pray the prayer, and, and say, I'm going to follow the Lord. It's going to take tremendous courage for somebody to be baptized in water. It's going to take tremendous courage for you to dedicate your children uh, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and say, listen, these aren't my kids, these are your kids, and God, I will do my best, and I, I depend upon you, God, I depend upon the Holy Spirit, I depend upon the church to support me and help me. It takes courage to do that. It takes courage for a young lady or a young man to break off a relationship with the guy or the girl that they're with because they know that relationship is not pleasing to God even though they really, really like the other person. It takes tremendous courage for a husband to say to the wife tonight when you go to bed, I'd like us to start praying together. I haven't done a very good job of being the spiritual leader in my home and, and I want to start praying with us. That takes courage. It takes courage for an employee to say to the boss in a respectful tone, you know, I, I'm not going to doctor the books anymore. It's courage. It takes courage to sit across from a friend and say, I can't control my anger. I'm yelling at my kids. 
or I'm struggling with drinking, it's gotten out of control, or I, I take these pain pills and I can't stop taking the pain pills, it takes courage. It takes courage for a marriage to be fought for when you don't feel like you love or even like that other person anymore. We live in an era where courage is desperately needed. And so we're in chapter seven of the story, and um, the story, uh, listen, I had a concern uh, eight weeks ago when we first started this, this, this journey together. And the concern was, is this gonna get dry? Is this gonna get boring? You know, kind of going through this, and will, will we lose momentum? I mean, it's 31 weeks, it's a long time. Well, this isn't just a book. This is the Bible. It's, it's, a, it's called a meta-narrative Bible, but it's, it's the Bible that's been put together in chronological order. Meta-narrative means it's a narrative of the Bible, meaning it's, it connects many of the Bible stories uh, together in a manner that we can get the big picture of God's message to us. And as you probably have realized, whether you're at home watching or somewhere else on vacation, or like last week, there was a brother from our church that was on a cruise ship watching this. Wherever you're at um, today, you probably have noticed if you've been reading the story that it's packed. It, every chapter is packed full of all kinds of incredible stories that we can see ourselves in. It's impossible to teach every aspect of this book as I'm going through one chapter every week, but it's our hope that in the gatherings, in in the groups, in your personal time of study together, you'll remember what the foundation of the church really is. The foundation of the church is God's word, is the Bible. This is it. This is what we base our faith on, is what God says in his word. And so we're in chapter seven, which means, congratulations, you're about a fourth of the way done already. About 25% done with this book already. It seems like it's going rather quickly. And I hope you're still reading a chapter a week. If you haven't, take some time this week, get caught up, but we're reading chapter eight for next week. It's kind of cool that you get to read what we're gonna be talking about when we gather together in the church. And at this point, Moses has died. And the children of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land, what God has promised to them. And so God, God needs somebody else to be in charge since Moses is dead. And so he puts Joshua in charge. Now, I need you to understand about Joshua, he's about 40 or 50 years younger than Moses was. So Joshua represents the next generation. Moses was older and Joshua was younger, and this younger guy is going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. So this takes a lot of, a lot of courage, and this is what we read. I'm gonna be reading to you from the story. If you brought your story with you, open it up, if you would, please, to page 89. This is Joshua 1, 1 through 7. Let's start there. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to it from the turn from uh, to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. 
So God is sending his people into the promised land. What's the promised land? It is the land that he promised to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. Now, this has only been a few weeks for us, um, but for them it's been centuries. God is, God is uh, uh, not confined to our, our time restrictions. He makes a promise and he'll fulfill it in his own time. So hundreds of years earlier, he promised that Abraham and his descendants would have this promised land. They would become this, this mighty nation. And so I want you to understand something about Joshua. Joshua was a warrior. Like, he, that's what he knew. He knew how to fight. He, knew how, he was like a general. He knew how to strategize. Um, that was in his DNA. That was what made him up. He knows this is not going to be easy um, because he's seen the land before. God tells him over and over again, be strong and courageous. Why do you think God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous? And this is what I, what I come, because he knew that when he leads the Israelites into the promised land, the first city they're going to have to conquer is Jericho. And Jericho is a fortified city. Jericho has walls around it. And as he knew, as soon as they saw these walls surrounding the city, they were going to freak out. I believe that God is speaking to somebody to be strong and to be courageous. You don't know why. It's not for this season. He's preparing you for the next season. And you know what that next season is going to have, but you'll understand better when you get to the next season why he prepared you for this season, uh, in this season for the next season. He's been preparing you. You see, what they saw when they arrived at Jericho was absolutely intimidating. It says that there were walls uh, around Jericho. See, it wasn't just one wall. There were two walls, and they were impenetrable. The first wall was about six feet thick. That, that's, you know, about that far. About six, it was a six-foot-thick wall. And then there was a gap, and in that gap were, were, were armed soldiers that roamed to and fro. And then there was a, another wall that was 12 feet thick, twice as thick, solid rock walls. And they were very, very tall. And so they couldn't go through the walls. They couldn't go under the walls. They certainly couldn't go over the walls. The, the walls were impossible to get around. The walls were, you get that. See yourself in the story. You got walls in your life as well. Maybe it's health issues. How am I going to get through that? Maybe it's a relationship. It seems to be beyond repair. Maybe it's a person you've been trying to reach out to and you just can't seem to get over that wall. But you've got walls in your life. You think there's nothing you can do. Joshua was prepared for this. God had spoken to him many times. Be strong and courageous. And then we get to chapter 6, which we're going to see on page 92. If you'll turn there in your book, please. And if you don't have a book, guys, we've got all kinds of them. We want you to pick one up at the Connect Corner. You can go back and get one right now if you want to. It's yours. Write in it. Highlight it. I'd like you to kind of mark the verses that we go through so that you can look back and you'll recall, oh, yeah, what God did in this journey that we're on. And so in chapter 6, they're getting ready to take the city. But before the battle begins, this is what God says to Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, just about a quarter of the way down, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. <laughs> I hope you'll, you'll truck with me for a minute. 
Joshua is is looking at the city of Jericho, which is beyond the six-foot wall and beyond thick wall and the 12-foot thick wall. And he's looking at Jericho over there. And God says, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with all of its fighting men and the king even, yeah, belongs to you. And I think if I was Josh, I'd be like, well, no, not really. You see, the king, <laughs> um, the king is over there and I'm, well, I'm, I'm over here, and not really, God, with all due respect. I think, I think that we can kind of connect with this just a little bit, because it might be a minor detail, but it's a major detail to us, right? God says your latter is going to be greater than your former, and you're like, well, I don't know what I I'm still living in the former then, because it doesn't feel like it. The promises of God are yes and amen. God has given you victory. In this case, God says, I have delivered. And it hasn't really happened yet. So this is, God is speaking what has not happened as if it has already took place, as if it's already happened. He's using an incorrect term. God is using a past tense verb. The problem is, um, it's not past tense at all. It, it hasn't happened yet, but it helps us understand what courageous faith really is. Courageous faith is speaking what has not happened as if it already has. Spe now listen, that is if God has promised it. If God hasn't promised it, then don't be an idiot, right? Um, if God hasn't promised something, I mean, I could climb up on the roof and say, I'm speaking it as though it has, I shall fly and jump off and you'll see a splat mark on the concrete, right? Because God never promised that that would take place. But when God promises it, you got to believe it. God had promised to these people, these Israelites, 14 times that I counted in the Bible that he was going to give them this land. And when you speak God's promises, which have not happened, as if they already have, that, that is courageous faith. God says he's delivered the city into the people's hands uh, before they even have a battle. So Joshua and the people are full of courage. They're full of strength. God has given them the city. They believe it. Oh, minor thing. Then God gives them the battle plan. Now, before we go any further, I realize the story that I'm focusing on today is a story that most everybody is familiar with. And the problem with sharing a familiar story that many of you were raised in Sunday school and you taught your kids the stories and, and the problem is you know the end of the story. The, the situation that I, what I really want you to pay attention to is see yourself in the story as if you don't know what's going to happen next. See yourself in this. You're in the story. Your story, by the way, is over. Your story's already been written. God already knows what's going to take place. He sees it from beginning to end. And if you already knew what was going to take place, you'd have a whole lot more faith and confidence because you'd know that God was going to come through. It, unless, of course, you make foolish choices. So, so if you could see your story, it would be like a no-brainer. Well, yeah, trust God, you idiot, right? It's hard when you're live. It's hard when it's in real time. 
For these guys in this story, it was real time. And then God, go back to page 92 again, if you would, please. On page 92, we discover the battle plan. And, and I love this because, um, well, it, it builds my faith. God says these words. He says, march around the city once with all the armed men. Gotcha. Do this for six days. All righty. Have the priests carry trumpets of ram's horns, all right, good, in front of the ark, gotcha. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, mm-hmm, okay, with the priests blowing the trumpets, oh, well, that's weird. When you hear them sound the long blast on the trumpets, okay, okay, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city's going to collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. Um... I told you that Joshua was a seasoned warrior, a general. When God had told him uh, that he is going to go into the battle, I think, just like some of you, he already had a plan in mind. Oh, I've got an idea. We'll do this and we'll flank him. We'll take him out. Well, yeah, we've got all kinds of ideas. I'm sure he's strategizing and thinking. I'm sure he's already got battle plans laid out. If I had a scroll, I'd unroll it for you. He's thinking, okay, so this is going to go. We're going to do this. I'm going to make this thing happen. And, and it's, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But if everybody follows the strategy and the leadership, we're going to persevere. And through these extensive plans, I think we're going to be successful. And I can tell you that on the scroll that Joshua unrolled in his mind or phys- physically, uh, you would not read anywhere, anywhere in his battle plans, the phrase marching band. It probably had nothing to do, and nothing was not in there. Marching band. That doesn't sound like a good idea for the battlefield, does it? Right? Maybe Joshua thought, okay, God, well, so, I mean, I, I, he was a human being. He was normal. I can't imagine. Don't make these people out to be more than they are. They're just like you and me. So God gives you some instruction, and you're like, hmm, If your answer is always, yes, sir, absolutely, I'll do it, without questioning, um, well, God bless you. Write a book. Teach us how to do that. But most of us have a few questions along the way, right? I mean, your children, that's how we are. Don't your children ask a lot of questions? Like, especially when there are a lot of questions, you're like, what? Stop asking me questions, right? And you're, you're asking God questions as well. I think Joshua might have had a few questions for God. Okay, so after we, they comprom- negotiated a little bit and, and the compromise was all on Joshua, okay, God, then, then I'll do this, and there's one time a day and six times, and keep my mouth closed and don't say anything, and in the last day, we're going to blow the trumpets, and it's going to be wonderful, and we're going to turn and look at the wall, and everybody's been making fun of us and dogging us the whole time, but we're going to turn the wall, and the whole thing's going to fall down. Um, I think that I'll do that, but I, here's the deal, God, I think you, I, you probably have an inside man, don't you? See, you're having us do this as a distraction technique, because there's somebody on the inside that's probably going to help us. And this is just the conversation that I'm perceiving that Joshua might have had with God. But ultimately, God does say, you know what, Joshua, I do have an inside person. Her name is Rahab, and she's a prostitute. <sighs> okay, so, so we've got a prostitute, and we've got a marching band, <laughs> and we're going to silently walk around the walls one time every day uh, without saying anything, and we're not, not, our weapons aren't out, we're just walking around, right, 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 yes, and then on the last day, we're going to walk until we're utterly exhausted, <laughs> going to go around the city like many times, and then we're going to turn, and we're going to boo, and everything's going to fall down, and the prostitute is going to save us from the inside out because she had let the spies, yeah, yes, that's exactly right. 
Now, I wonder if, if Joshua and the children of Israel, the entire nation, were struggling like I would be struggling if I put myself in the story. Is this courageous faith, tremendous courage, or is this stupid? You might be wondering that sometimes about your own faith journey. Am I being courageous? Am I just being stupid? Hmm. Turns out that they chose to be courageous, and it happened exactly like God said that it would. And the walls collapsed, and the people claimed the city of Jericho. They obeyed God, even though it didn't make a lot of sense. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's moving forward in spite of fear. Sometimes we think of a courageous person as somebody who's not afraid. That's wrong. Courage is not not being afraid. I know that's not very good English. It's not not being afraid. It's moving forward, even though you are afraid. Courage is doing what God calls you to do, even though you have no idea how it's going to turn out. Um, that's the journey of new life. Just moving forward. And even though you're scared, even though you're tired, this is the sixth time I've taught this weekend, even though you're tired, even though you feel alone, even though you've had chances before and you've blown those chances before and it just never seems to have worked out, you still keep on moving forward. And so in the story of, of Joshua, understand that when he was with Moses, when Moses was alive, Joshua was late 30s, early 40s. Now, he's been with Joshua for 40 years. So that means he's late 70s, early 80s now. And Moses is dead. At the time that Joshua was in his late 30s or early 40s, Numbers 13 and 14 tell us that Joshua, along with his, his buddy Caleb and eight of their best friends, were sent out by Moses to go to the promised land. They went and they spied out at the promised land. And they looked in to see what they were getting themselves into. And the Bible tells us that they saw, wow, this is a land flowing of milk and honey. What does that mean? It means fertile soil. We can plant crops and we can sustain ourselves here. This is beautiful. This is like beachside living, right? This is um, uh, more than that. The, the, the grapes are growing so big in the clusters. Uh, there's so much food here is what Joshua sees and what his friend Caleb sees. We can do this. This is amazing. But the eight friends are like, are you, are you kidding me? These, we're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. These guys are giants. They're fortified, they're huge. There's no way we can possibly do this. And so what happens? 40 years earlier, when Joshua was younger and comes back with the report, we got this, we can do this. With God's help, everybody else says no. Everybody else is full of fear. And so, 40 years later, after that entire generation, the older generation is now dead, Joshua is now old. He's now in the older generation. Do you know what happens when you get older? I wrote a book about this many years ago, and this was kind of part of the book, was is when you get older, you become risk adverse. 
you choose to take less risks in your life. It's part of our kind of biological chemical makeup. It's the left brain, right brain kind of thing that happens, and we're fearfully and wonderfully made. I kind of think some of that just makes sense. You have a little bit more to lose when you get older. You want to leave a lasting legacy. You want to leave an inheritance for your children, your children's children. So we take less risks the older that we get, right? But the younger we are, it's just like, ah, jump, right? And we, we just do that. But what happened with Joshua was when he was younger, he was like reckless leap of faith. And then he became old. And he's like reckless leap of faith. He kept that passion inside of him. And so did his generation. So I want to talk about this for just a few minutes. What happened in those 40 years for that younger generation when they became an older generation? Because the first time when they saw the city, the older generation was freaked out. They were really upset. They were gripped with fear. But the second time, the now older generation, they have courage and they have strength. Here's what I think happened. By the way, nothing changed. They were still in the same wilderness. They were still wandering. It wasn't like technology had taken off, right? It wasn't like they had a reason to be less fearful. Here's what I believe happened, and here's the essence of the story for you and me. I think they went from focusing on their smallness to God's bigness. Hmm. I don't know of anything that has the potential really of being more life-changing than this. If we can just embrace this simple principle, this big principle, quit focusing on our smallness and start focusing on God's bigness. Will you take your eyes off your situation and you focus on how great and big and grand God really is? You confront the walls of your life, and we all have those, but quit looking at who you are, but now you're looking at who God is in light of these walls. The question is not, how do I compare to this giant wall in my life? The question is, how big is my God compared to this wall? And this generation has been looking at their smallness, but this generation has been looking at God's bigness. And when you focus on how big God really is, the only natural outflow of that is courage and strength. Not because the circumstances changed in all of these years, but because they changed. They changed their focus from how small they are, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, to how big God really is. I can do all things. I can do all things, not through me, through Christ, because he's so big who strengthens me. Our stories would look dramatically different if we could really, 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 in real time, focus on how big God is. And I'm wondering if your story needs to be more about his bigness, that your story would tell that God is bigger. He is bigger than your problems. He's bigger than your doubts. He's bigger than your fears. He's bigger than your regrets. He's bigger than your guilt. He's bigger than your shame. God is bigger than any wall that has been built in front of you. He is bigger. When we take our eyes off of who we are in that moment and we put our eyes on how big God really is, it's a game changer. Isaiah, um, gives us some poetic language. 
And I'd like to quote a verse from Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Just leave it up there if you would, please, for me. Let me, let me explain this to you. The, the hollow of his hand. I, I, you cup your hand kind of like this. And I can fit, because I tried, I can fit about a tablespoon of water, if I hold my hand just right, in the hollow of my hand. But, but this, this chapter in Isaiah talks about how God holds the oceans in the hollow of his hand. The Pacific, the Atlantic, the Arctic, the Antarctic, and all the seas of the world. Did you know in the Pacific alone, there are places that the ocean is six miles deep, and God holds it all in the hollow of his hand. Tell me he's not big. The breadth of your hand, that's from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your pinky. If there's a distance there, it's a measurement. I'm, I'm a freak because I measured one that one's a little longer than the other. That's kind of weird, right? But on average, when you average the two, it's about nine inches between the pinky tip and the, and the, and the, the tip of the thumb. Did you know that the sun is 93 million miles away from us? And the closest star in the entire universe is four and a half light years away. That's 26 trillion miles away. And God says, let me just measure that for you. Don't tell me our God's not big. We serve a big God. <laughs> a big, big God. What would happen if we took our eyes off our smallness and put them on God's bigness. And, and then I asked myself, well, how, how, do, how do I get that? Well, you get that by being strong and courageous. And I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be strong and courageous. I've never heard anybody say, no, I kind of prefer to live in anxiety and fear. Thank you very much. Everybody wants to be strong and courageous. How do we get that? There is no other way that I can think of that is a more rapid manner to get towards strength and courage than prayer and talking to God. Because it's in prayer that we take our eyes off our smallness and we put our eyes on the vastness, the giganticness of God. We're reminded how big God really is. That's one of the reasons why we're committed to being a praying church and we'll never tire of that. We want you to get on board with that. Join us in praying for people as we pray every night at 8 p.m. We believe in the power of prayer. We want that to mark our DNA. We, we, we need to have complete dependence upon God. At New Life, we, we really do believe in things like, you know, we, we consider the, the atmosphere of the church and the temperament and the branding and, and all of the activities and all of the social possibilities and relational things. We consider all that, but you know what? That doesn't mark, mark who we are. That, that fits into our values because we'll do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus Christ. But the ultimate foundation of who we are is found in God. God's holy word, this is who we are, number one, and number two, prayer. In relationship with God, and relationship isn't just historical and knowing about God, it's talking to God. It's the veil has been torn, we have free access, take advantage of that. Talk to God, be in relationship with him. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. 
so you know we're a praying church. And so I love this, this final definition of courage I'm going to give you. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. Courage is fear that said its prayers. It's not something we drum up within ourselves, but rather it's found in God. So I'm going to close this up because I, I, was, um, I was thinking, though, when I wrote this message, I was like, you know... Um, Okay, I know what I want to share with you at the end. Let me flip the script and kind of see if there's anything that comes to my mind. And in about 10 minutes, I came up with all these things. And these are just various five-word sentences that might represent what you believe, a lie that you believe. And that lie has stolen from you your courage, your strength. And in just a few minutes' time, here's a few of the lies that I think we tell ourselves or the devil tells us. It's too late for you. Five words. You messed up too much. No one will want you. It is never going to happen. You will just fail again. You're never going to change. There's plenty of time left. You will always be alone. You've failed as a mom. You're just like your dad. God doesn't love you anymore. It'll be like this forever. You've wasted too much time. You are on your own. You don't need any help. God's done giving you chances. And in just 10 minutes time, I'm just jotting these things down. And it's amazing how quickly the negative declarations come to our mind because that's what the world does. And we start buying into these lies. Five words came quickly to me. Words that rob our strength, rob courage from our lives. But I want to give you five words that I already gave you at the beginning of this message that will replace all the other five words. Joshua chapter one, verse number five. God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. That's the declaration. And I think Joshua's going, how? How do I do that? And God answers the question before it's ever asked. I will be with you. That's the way you're going to get courage and strength. This is what Jesus tells us in the Gospels. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, in John 14, when Jesus was getting ready to, to, to die upon the cross, and then later he's going to ascend into heaven, the disciples knew he was going to be leaving them, and he's like, I'm not leaving you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I am sending the Comforter. I am sending the Holy Spirit that will live and reside within you to be your helper, your strengthener, your comforter, your counselor. I will be with you. We don't live in fear of what's going to happen. That's not how we live life. We live full of faith. We live full of courage because God is with us. He is in us and he is bigger than any wall that we face in our lives. God is stronger than the enemy that we fight. It's not within ourselves. It's within a relationship with Jesus Christ because he promised me, I will be with you. Say it with me. I will be with you. He will be with you. He is with you right now. And when you believe that and you focus on the bigness of God instead of the smallness of your life, the walls, the walls, they 
come tumbling down. They come tumbling down. Father, thank you for your word. It will not return void. You are with us. You strengthen us. You gird us. You keep us. You sustain us. You help us. You grow us. You bless us. You heal us. You deliver us. For you are with us.